Welcome to the Digital Thoughts Podcast. My name is Zan Sayed, and I am a pharmacist turned product manager. I have almost 10 years of clinical experience in oncology, ranging from inpatient all the way to outpatient. My goal with this podcast is to bring people from all sides of the conversation together so that we can learn from each other and build a better healthcare system. In this podcast, we discuss everything digital health from the people to the products. If you do enjoy what you listen to, please consider giving this podcast a five-star rating in Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really does help a lot. Thank you very much, and let's get into the episode. Today, we have an awesome guest. His name is Amir Bozorgzadeh. He is the CEO and co-founder of Virtual Leap. Virtual Leap is a health and education VR startup. In this episode, we talk about how he went from writing about VR to starting a VR startup, how personal experiences led him to starting the startup, why it's so hard to be a founder, and what VR needs to become more mainstream. I hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as I did. Hey guys, I got an awesome guest here today. We got Amir. Hey Amir, how are you doing? Really, really happy to be with you today, right at the start of the week, Zane. Thank you for having me. No, man. Thank you for being on. I really appreciate that a lot. For people that don't know who you are, do you mind giving us a little background about yourself? Sure. I My background is uh, a Vancouverite who started his career um, about 17, 18 years ago as a market researcher, um, spent a, quite a bit of time in the Middle East where I became more or less a mobile games publisher. I got the bug around 2015 to enter the VR, uh, XR kind of space. And I started off by writing for blogs like VentureBeat and TechCrunch. And then I more or less found my, my, my reason for being in this industry. Around 2017, I incorporated Virtually, where uh, I'm essentially the CEO and co-founder of a company that's right at the intersection of the neurosciences and virtual reality, creating applications of this technology to hopefully uh, help a lot of learning challenges like ADHD and cognitive disorders and cognitive illnesses like Alzheimer's disease. Yeah, that's amazing. That's quite, that's quite a, it's quite a journey that you took there. You know what I mean? A lot of people have like A to B, you kind of, you kind of oscillated all throughout your career. I feel, I feel like a, a mat, a, a rat in a maze, you know, tilted, uh, flooding with water uh, in retrospective kind of analysis, there's no narrative to be built, really. I think it's a, it's a journey of gratefulness to get to have opportunities left, right, and center. But certainly, it's been a zigzag. I'm based now in, in Europe, and our headquarters is in Lisbon, Portugal. That's amazing. Um, not feeling like a rat in a maze, but just in general, like, you know, finding, <laughs> finding, finding your calling. I think that's something that all, all of us are looking for. And it's great to talk to people when they like find it, right? And they, you know, you look back and you're like, oh, I never would have thought me being here, but it's just such an amazing journey. And I think a lot of us forget to appreciate the journey that got us to where we get to. I think, I think that's, there's at least for me, it's been really true that in younger times, I would think that there was an answer, like, what do you want to do, right? Or some question like that. And you're supposed to have a definitive answer, especially in our day and age where, you know, the scientific time, the technology time, everything is kind of like there's an answer to be had. And so uh, I think in the startup journey or in self-development or um, self-knowledge, it's really more of a question of finding a magnetic uh, resonance to something, doesn't matter where it is, but acting on it and then learning and feeling more. And I think it's kind of like a compass. It's a, it's a, it's a, I use magnetic as a, as a analogy because I feel like you need to do something and then you start to have evidence of what your calling is less of and more of. And so you start moving towards the more, you know, the more evidence you get, the more you find that, that niche where I suppose you feel like you're able to thrive. Yeah, no. And I think that I agree with you. I think we are so caught up in doing everything quickly, finding our passion so quickly, you know, this hustle culture, everything needs to make money, all this stuff. And I think we forget to just like do stuff that we enjoy. It doesn't have to lead to anything, but I mean, it might lead to something, right? Uh, but just enjoy life. And, you know, every, we're all kind of going back to your rat analogy. We're just in this rat race. And some of us, we just need to get out of it. And some of it is just like just doing stuff you enjoy. And, you know, and like, you know, and it gets you places. Like for me, it got me here. 
um, and something that I never thought I'd be doing. So, mm. um, but I would love to learn more about um, your VR startup. Do you mind giving us a little about that? Yeah, and what you just said a second ago kind of ha- kind of leads up to it in, in a certain aspect of our technology because we've created um, our first product, at least, Enhanced VR, is a library of 15 cognitive exercises designed in virtual reality. And these exercises, playing them, can, on the one hand, give you a snapshot of your personal cognitive fingerprint, so to speak. I've been using these clever words uh, just quite recently to describe it. It's like it tells you and shows you what you are from the point of view of your karate and in, in, in the cognitive domains. Like for me, for example, I'm, I'm fairly weak in, and this is actually quite, quite interesting about virtual reality. Cause when I say cognition, we just, we don't think about spatial orientation. We don't think about motor control. We don't think about the psychosomatic uh, relationship between mind and body, but in the VR embodied digital format kind of uh, environment, the body is, is also, a domain that we include in our cognitive game. So we have a library of games for, you know, spatial orient, uh, spatial audio awareness, uh, spatial orientation, motor control skills. And then of course the standard ones like short-term memory and long-term memory and information processing. But when you play these games, you get a landscape of where you're weak and where you're strong. And uh, you always notice more or less that people do not like the games that touch on their weakness and they love to play as much as possible those games that they excel at so um what you just said a moment ago where we where you feel good i i totally agree with you but i would say that human nature um one of the areas that our games kind of maybe tackle into is making the, the stuff that doesn't feel so good but it's actually the area of maximum potential development and becoming more whole that's uh one area of our of our technology and its advantages but the one of the other features is simply um, last Friday, we published our first pilot study on the potential therapeutics on ADHD. Can we use these types of technologies to, uh, you know, help people with learning challenges to transcend those challenges or, you know, lessen the, the debilitating effect of those challenges in life? And hopefully we've become also a, a digital therapeutic for, for learning challenges, cognitive disorders in general in, in the future. Yeah, no, that sounds really um, amazing. And I completely agree with you. We tend to run away from challenges and we don't. Um, I think a lot of it is because we're we're conditioned to be afraid of failure, right? Like our, all of our life, our career, schooling, it's all based on passing and failing. It's never like about how much you've grown. It's always like, oh, you got a 70% on this test. Not that, hey, you didn't know any of this before. And now you're over here. Nope, you just didn't know. You know, it's just like this weird paradigm that we have that we all live in. Uh but so, I mean, first of all, that's awesome. Uh, and have you guys found that, so as you're going down this journey, like, how are you guys coming up with these modules? Are you guys working with other neuroscientists and things like that? Yeah. So everything is designed first and foremost by a neuroscientist. And typically nothing's out of the blue. Nothing's invented more or less beyond what it has to be invented in terms of creating its first of its kind in a virtual reality environment but each of the games is designed inspired by or literally based on a neuropsychological tool that has been used by uh, neurologists or cognitive scientists for decades like literally decades so you know every one of these exercises in fact consists of over 20 plus pages of research science um, and design documentation the new product we're about to launch which is a mci screener a tool that could screen mild cognitive impairment, a precursor towards uh, Alzheimer's disease with very high sensitivity and reliability. Uh, those, these, that, that actually has 120 plus pages. So lots of, there's no shortcuts. There's no quick to the market. You have to work not only with the neuroscientists on your team, but we collaborate with groups across Stanford. Um, we've worked with MIT. Uh, we, we actively are working with the VA healthcare system in San Francisco through UCSF particularly in the, you know, obviously in the population of veterans and that's relationship to addiction and post-traumatic stress disorder. A lot of partners worldwide with the very best of people in those fields collaborate with us. No, and do you find it hard to find people that are willing to collaborate or have you found it a pretty easy journey? 
Well, I would say I suffer from a severe level of PTSD myself, so I can't really remember the answer to your question with fidelity. You know, I, I, I know we've gone through ups and downs, roller coaster rides. I had a dream or a nightmare last night about another roller coaster, you know, analogy of where we always are. So it is really difficult to answer, especially with COVID blocking off so much of my memory, but it certainly is. Absolutely. But when you start to enter any period of time where you have momentum, uh, that research study goes out there. That means like, you know, passively that article is being read now. When you, you build on, build on, build on, and then you see that the, the, the momentum has its own life. And that's a really beautiful moment in any venture because you start to see that the, the baby is breathing on its own. It doesn't need a ventilation machine. And when it did need a ventilation machine, when it was really relying on my personal reality distortion field uh, in order to even exist as any concept, uh, let's say 2018, 2019, certainly um, you felt like there, there was, you were stabbing around the dark. I do not feel that way right now. I think it's the reverse. Yeah, no, I mean, no, I, I get you. Uh, I think when you first start a startup, especially that's something kind of, quote unquote, out of the box, you're looked at, this guy's crazy. You know, everyone's, everyone's crazy until like somebody joins, oh my God, that was the greatest, uh, in, that was the greatest thing in the world. And they're like, the same people are calling you crazy. It's just like this weird, the startup world is weird. It's, um, it definitely is something that will test you mentally, physically, kind of all over the place. But, um, so how did you, so what, what about VR do you like? do you like the most, like what got you into VR? I know you wrote for TechCrunch, all that mobile gaming, like were you kind of in VR back then or was it something that kind of came about later on? I think on the one hand, I'm, I'm a junkie of, of uh, deep psychology, analytical psycholo psychology, kind of uh, psychometrics, uh, typology assessment tools, MBTI, things that tell us things about ourselves or can give us insights that are somewhat magical because otherwise we have a hard time understanding ourselves without some, you know, higher level system of some sort. That's my personal opinion. I, I you can, you can think you're as clever as you think you are, but there's this wealth of people and, and, and things that have been formed that can help you maybe un better understand uh, where you are and how you can pass a barrier. And virtual reality got my interest probably around 2000. 13, 2014, when that latest hype cycle of it really started exploding in Silicon Valley. Because I have phobias of certain things like heights, particularly um, uh, my vertigo was something that I noticed that VR had been used not only just recently, but li literally two, three decades minimum in clinics where they use it for agoraphobia, fear of people, uh, phobias of, of, of those hairy little like arachnoids, you know, jumping at you, all sorts of stuff. And I wanted to use it for certain areas like public speaking um, fears and so on. Uh, it really drew me because of my own personal self-interest. And I suppose that's not a bad place to start when you want to access something for yourself. And that gets you into an industry. Yeah, no, I mean, what's the saying? Like, if you build for yourself, there's at least a couple thousand people that are exactly <laughs> like yourself, right? right. Uh, so if you're, if you're a customer, there's gonna, you're going to find other customers as well. Yeah, VR is... Oh, go ahead. No, there was this uh, commercial back when I was like, I think in my teens, the Rogaine commercials in the US channels, right? It's like the hair uh, help replacement. Uh, I forget what, they, what it actually was. I guess it, it wasn't taking hair from your, from your other sides and putting it in with some kind of chemical. But he was like, I'm not only the president of Rogaine you yeah. know, USA, I'm also the number one customer. Yeah, yeah no. I, yeah, so Rogaine is just like, uh, we don't have to go into what it was. Yeah, yeah, it's basically like a shampoo or like a like a solution that you put on top of your head, and it promotes hair growth in that area if you still have um, active follicles. But yeah, I do remember that commercial, and I remember seeing that. And I'm like, oh my god, this guy believes in it. I mean, it makes. I mean, it really does work, right? I mean, I was like in my like single digit age, but it worked on me. I was like, whoa, that's pretty crazy. But uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, so I think you're right. It, that's a real, I never thought about it that way, but if you are, you're, if you're a customer, then at least that's statistically significant. Yeah, no, because, yeah, I mean, because nobody's going to be like, oh, you know, because a lot of times if some people aren't using their own, own products, like, you know, a lot of product teams, like software SaaS companies 
will well good ones will force their team to use that product on a day-to-day basis so they can feel true empathy for for their customers and such right so maybe they can just fix the problem before the customer even gets to it so i think that i think they call it like dog fooding or something where you're using your own product i mean that's the term that's used in the in the industry but um i'm writing that down dog fooding <laughs> yeah so um so VR, so for this for for um for your product, do they need to buy a headset? Can it work through like a phone? Like how does it like work? Like do you, is are you are you like working with like specific headsets? Like or is it just a general like program that anyone can use with any headset? I don't know if that question even makes sense. No, it makes hundred percent sense. Uh, um, we require we we require a VR headset, but we're agnostic to any of them. Uh, <laughs> and by any of them, I mean any of the ones that are popular. So if there's a, a headset out there that really has an active uh, usage base, then we more or less support it. I think there's only exceptions of some of the more hardcore, really expensive ones like the the um, uh, Varjo um, uh, premium headset. This is a headset with like I think 8K, you know, <laughs> resolution and so on. Um, we we mostly are used by uh, the MetaQuest 2 users, uh, the Pico 4. Uh, the HTC, these are just jargon I'm throwing out there. But basically, you can go to Best Buy or any store nearby, and, and you'll see those um, around, and those are probably the best ones to get. We just don't support um, you know, interoperability to smartphones because you know, that's, our whole, uh, that's our whole reality distortion field. It's that you know, the only reason this technology has a really, really great use case in this particular you know, domain of, of therapeutics for ADHD and so on is because that there's certain nonverbal aspects of the human circuitry, like our autonomic nervous system and our, and our um, you know, vestibular balance system and proprioception. They believe the VR experience is real. When, you, when you're shown a different reality with the eyes, like literally the parts of us that are nonverbal that doesn't know your name is Zane and my name is Amir. Like these are like the more reptilian, mammalian, like the, I don't know, the sides of us that are about fears and all these things that we don't get. They are engaged in VR. So um, it's just not something that's viable to be uh, moved or accessible in anything other than an environment that is uh, multisensory, such as VR. And that makes sense. Um, and I think that's the beauty of VR is it, can transport you into feeling like you are actually in that base, right? You're dealing with that fear, you're dealing with that, you know, your house or whatever. Like it's, I think it, it's like a, I don't know, I've, I've had a VR headset on once in a while and you really do, because you know, it's all the light is blocked out usually, right? Uh, and you just, once you kind of, in a couple of minutes, you're like, oh man, this is kind of corny. And then you kind of get into it and you just forget that you're in like, you're in virtual reality at some point. Right. Like, for example, uh, one of our advisors is Albert Skip Rizzo of UCLA. I mean, he and just a few other people that I really know of, uh, Jeremy Balenson and Walter Greenleaf of, of Stanford. Um, uh, there's so many, there's so many uh, people I'm probably missing right now, but there's, there's still very few people who've been doing VR applications for healthcare since the 90s, literally. And one of those applications that Skip uh, has been involved in for you know, literally decades is like exposure therapy for people like veterans who have PTSD by creating a crafted environment that literally is reminiscent of that moment where they had the trauma and to have a multi-sensory experience that is bringing out not just that cognitive side, because if you're just dealing with the cognitive side of a person, you are, I, my personal belief, I'm not a neurologist, neuroscientist, um, but I am a super geek and nerd. I think uh, I've read enough to, I think not, uh, upset anyone out there, but you are dealing with the superficial tip of the iceberg of that individual. Whereas when you're in a virtual reality environment, bringing out as many details of that trauma, or like if you uh, really have a trauma against, uh, not trauma, but a phobia about people getting too close to you and you can't ride a subway, right? Creating an exposure therapy environment where you can manipulate in a very controlled way all the little factors and, 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 and exposure levels and intensities. Ah, it's it, it's so, it's so exhilarating what this technology can do, but only it can do it because of, of that level of multi-system human engagement. Yeah, no, I mean, the brain's a powerful thing. And um, so I, I had 
I mean, like, there's so many things happening, like, you know, what you guys are working on, you know, they call there's something in pain management with cognitive behavioral therapy, where they're looking at working on retraining what pain is, what pain isn't, right? Um, and that's really interesting. They see really great results. But the problem is, obviously, people get really mad, because I think that's one thing that with these kind of technologies, I don't know if you guys have felt it too, people are like, oh, this is just a game, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm this is real life for me, and this and that. And and then one, but it's it's hard to convince them. But once they go through it, then they start understanding. Is the, are you guys finding the same thing? Oh, it's been such a weird journey. I guess COVID was a twist that really, I think, in terms of a, of any technology being a double edged sword or any phenomenon also being a double edged sword, uh, something like a like a pandemic. I think everyone would agree with me in the digital therapeutic world, uh, hands down, that it really greased the wheels, not only with stakeholders, educational and healthcare systems, but also people who were found themselves in this really claustrophobic, uh, scary world in which uh, things had been turned and twisted upside down. Virtual reality suddenly became a little bit more inviting and people became a little bit more open. I think that certainly helped. We have not come across that, although we're a little bit more preclinical than some of the examples you're bringing up, like applied VR and behave VR, uh, East Coast US, uh, sorry, West Coast US uh, uh, companies in the pain management side. I'm sure when you're actually working in the setting, um, really doubling down your bets on exposing people with really, um, you know, really sensitive uh, conditions and circumstances it becomes much more of a sensitive topic naturally that you're going to get some initial pushback. But I think the day and age we're in right now, we're getting to a point where these devices are, are, are inviting enough. Yeah, no, I mean, that's great to hear. And, um, and you've, and you've brought up the term digital therapeutics quite often. Do you mind giving uh, people that might not know what a digital therapeutic is kind of just a little definition of what that is? So any software that is a content potentially has an ability to either have a placebo effect or it has uh, some kind of mechanism designed according to, as you mentioned a second ago, cognitive behavioral modification, some sort of therapeutic narrative. And that narrative can be by itself as a standalone solution. Like for example, our games could serve potentially to help a, a kid with uh, concentration problems because he's using TikTok too often a day, you know? Um, that can be considered something that a doctor could potentially prescribe instead of, you know, a medicine like Adderall or something. Like, let's try to see if some kind of narrative-based, um, game-mechanized, possibly, um, solution can serve as a first or, or accompanying to a, a molecular, you know, drug-based uh, solution. Maybe it pairs with it to help in, in increase adherence. It's any digital solution that could potentially be ultimately prescribed is I think a good definition. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the exact definition, I think. Uh, so, but yeah, no, I mean, it's, yeah, I, I mean, I think VR has so many applications, obviously what you guys are building also in training of, you know, and just in training in general, right? Like you, you can train people through VR. It's just, it's just a really fascinating field for me. And I, I, I think it's something that we're going to see a lot more adoption throughout because it, it just makes too much sense. Yeah, I want to say one thing. I, you know, the, the iteration of the hardware is just accelerating so much. If you look three, four years ago. So one thing I think that VR really needs to do in terms of the hardware before it gets mainstream on the consumer front, not the, not the serious use cases where I think it's already adopted, but in the consumer front, I do think um, they need to get lighter. That's one thing. And two, aside from being lighter, a lot of these new next generation headsets, which we're all going to start seeing more and more, they're going to be called less VR and they're going to be called more MR, which means that they do both VR and AR pass through. Basically, you can like, you can, I mean, the next, the next headset by Meta, will, the Quest 3, will certainly be something that really is both VR and AR. And I think if we can just eliminate that, you know, completely shutting off reality, versus having the option to move back and forth, that's going to be a, a big milestone coming up in the next year. Yeah, and I think that's like Meta's, the Meta's biggest like um, thing that they were trying to do this like with their next like generation was try to make it lighter because that's one of the biggest, that's, if anyone's never put on a VR headset, it can 
they they can get pretty heavy. Um, so um, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And like, and like any, I don't want to get into meta, but like all the stuff that they're trying to do, they have to make a headset really light, right? They're trying to what what they're trying to get to, which only helps us as the consumer, right? Because the lighter they get, the better off they get, right? And AR for those that don't know, augmented reality uh, is also something I'm really really excited for. I think that eventually we'll get to a point where we'll have glasses or something like in our in our vision kind of like google glass way way back in the day uh where we can just like have a conversation and google things in our eyes or as we're walking the directions will just be showing to us in our field of vision and we're just kind of like going from there no i totally agree and you know if it wasn't for meta then we wouldn't even be here as far as i'm concerned they just really put um I would say like most of the companies I know out there, especially the bigger ones, they sometimes go into VR and AR really more as experiments and they'll shut it off within a period of time. Like, you know, Google Glass to some extent, I think was an example of that. Uh, There's a bunch of examples I can list, but I won't go into them. Meta is the only one because of the unique nature of the leadership. (laughs) Zuckerberg is um, the only force that really, really matters in, in some ways. And it's his company and, and he'll go with that vision. But if he had not, I, I, I wouldn't be on this call with you. That's how important they are for the sector. I agree with you. I think that they're the only ones that have been really pushing it, like HTC and all them, like kind of, they started and they're kind of like slowed down, but Meta's been Meta's been the only like real, Meta with Oculus, whatever you want to call it, uh, have been the, only the real, real only players in the space for the whole time, right? People have dropped in and out every time, but they've just been constant. It's like a they like kamikaze style, you know. It's like, and I don't mean like a, you know do or die, but it's that energy that ultimately is what makes a startup a startup versus any other type of I don't know effort. It's like you know this is going to happen. Like that's the difference between startup founders and me. You know, uh, in in my opinion, it's really the ones who um, take it severely seriously, uh, and and that severity somehow pierces, you know the veil of, of, of otherwise the immune system of society, keeping that, and you know, that virus perceived virus for coming in. Cause I think innovation is first seen as a virus. Um, it's seen as, as a, as a bacteria. Yeah, no people, people do not like change and they will fight it tooth and nail until it's proven that it can help them. And then yeah. they'll be like, oh, yeah, I always knew this was going to work. I, you know, I, I loved it back then. And they're like the ones like, oh, my God, this is going to suck. You know, it's weird. Innovation is really weird. It's like a, one of those things. And then, like, if you're the one innovating, yeah. you like, that's, I think, the other thing that people don't realize with startups is your, your whole 90% of your job or your company is going to be failing in public constantly because people not necessarily like failing by the by the definition of what we call failure, but in the sense that people will constantly be bringing you down, telling you you can't make it, this doesn't make sense, and all this stuff. Everyone will try to poke holes in it, and it's up to you. Like you, I tell people, like to be a start in a startup, you need to be somewhat delusional to the fact that your way is the right way, but you also have to be humble enough to know when taking in the right advice, right, taking the right criticism in, be like, okay, that one makes sense, because you're getting flooded yeah. all the time from all sides and people are dragging you all over the place and but you have to like go through the noise and only let the ones that really should matter you have like people in oh i'm gonna get negative now but you know you got middle managers with the title of innovation in there you know you got you, I, I just don't want to be like this but and then you got you got uh, uh vcs don't get me started i know we both have uh, a lot of things to say about that but you know anyone who's in a position to be a filterer of innovation is in my books it really um they aren't necessarily innovative in and of themselves you know when you can be in a position to be academically just giving decisions on things not being in the ground level which is where innovation is it's on the dirt you you know that's why captain picard did not want to take the admiral position you know Maybe am I going really super geek here? You know, and, and no, anyway, I, I, Kirk I, said, "Don't do it. Don't <laughs> accept it. Don't become a non-innovator." I know exactly what you're talking about. No, I mean, I think you're right. I think innovation, innovation can't be filtered. That's the whole point of innovation, right? It's innovation is taking something that might have been filtered out and saying, "Hey, that might have worked," and then let's try to see what it is, right? It's a branch off of 
the truth, the reality, or whatever you want to call it. It is something that is so crazy that everyone thought that it couldn't happen, right? I mean, whatever, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, did we think that we would be doing this, like a, a video call, right? It was just a Star Trek thing, right? Opening doors, opening automatically, this and that, like video calls. I remember when I was in high school, I mean, grade school, they're like, oh my God, in the future, we'll be able to talk to people, you know, with our phones. I mean, with, with uh, just see each other. And you're like, no, nah, man, that's just never going to happen. And all these things came up. And even I was part of like, that's just never going to work, you know. And then now look at us. We're, you're you're in Spain. I'm in the United States. And we're having a perfectly normal conversation. And I'm even recording it. I mean, look, like. Look what happens when I bring up uh, Captain Picard. Your energy level. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, you're at I'm, your best. <laughs> more of a Star Wars fan than the Star Trek. But <laughs> I appreciate both sides. I appreciate both sides. <laughs> Absolutely. But. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to get too much into the startup journey, but, you know, how how was the startup, like, you know, so be, starting a startup is not something easy, right? Like, did you, did you, what what went into, like, saying, like, yes, I'm going to do it? Because it's not something you can just, like, drop everything that you have and, like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to start a startup just, just as a pastime. Like, was there something that went into it that really pushed you to start this? Or was it kind of just uh, just part of the journey that kind of took you here? I would say that I'm, I wasn't an innovator to begin with necessarily either. I, it's really hard to say too many good things about yourself and then only like say us versus them. I think the, uh, the exact same thing of trying to make innovation happen into the world in a macro scale, first it has to happen in a micro scale within you. So you have an immune system of your own and somehow some bacteria in terms of concepts found their place. And I'm really thinking about the movie Inception right now. Right. And and that idea somehow plants in some good soil and somehow grows because you're doing a consistent thing on a daily basis that is giving it water and allowing neurons to connect neurons and the neurons to literally create a little kingdom of ideas in, in the midst of your outer psychology, you know, the external side of how you think and the habits and perceptions. Somehow I, I guess writing for, for VR dozens and dozens of articles didn't didn't hurt writing pages and pages of, of, of research around it. That was the fertile ground and it just set the, the right stage for it to consume me internally before I became kind of a zombie to now consume the rest of the world. Yeah, no, I didn't think that, I mean, that's, that's fascinating to me. I was, I was finding fascinating what people, what brings people to startups, right? Because it's not, it's, a, I mean, going into startup is kind of like innovating, right? Like it's not something that we're taught to do. We're taught to, go to school, get a good degree, get a job, die, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> I, you know, like that's really, that's really the, that's really the thing. Right. Um, I don't want to get too, too uh, morbid this morning, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a cool thing. I, that's why I like really respect people that do startups, whether I agree with their idea or not, or they make it or not. I always have the utmost respect for people that, that go into the startup culture or startup world. And they're, because they're, they're building something that's them. Right. Cause it's, I don't think people realize when, when somebody's when you're working for a company and somebody criticizes that company, you can separate yourself from that company. Like, hey, I'm only in I work in this department, right? You know, I'm I'm over here. That I don't deal with them. But when it's when somebody's criticizing your startup, that's you. That's literally you, right? It's your ideas, your like you kind of said, you know, it's your baby, whatever. It's like somebody right. criticizing your child, somebody criticizing the way you live, like everything. It's not easy to deal with it. Like so I always right. have the utmost respect for people that like I said, I don't might not like their idea, might not whatever. It doesn't really matter. But the fact that they're doing it and they're doing it in public nice. is 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 really for me is like amazing because those people are different. Right. There's not a lot of people like that. No, and you're making a really good point because the the doing you keep saying public, and what does that mean? Well, you know why is public speaking so nerve wracking for a, a lot of us? You can memorize a whole speech, but then you go up there and something in you just starts getting, oh my God, there's people staring at me. If I falter, the tribe will exile me. I won't be able to get my food rations. They won't, you know, share any of that buffalo with me. So they just hunt it. You know, it's like, I think there's a primal fear of rejection that's still very much ingrained in us. And the more we put ourselves in a position of being pointed at, you know, clearly, and having no other people around us, of course, with the larger size of people you can ultimately bring around your startup, great. But the earlier stage you are, the less people there are. It's just you. And if you you know do that Series D or whatever thing, you're not a startup anymore in that sense because you know you got this other externalized momentum. 
but and the point, right, the start of it, I think it's really about you versus also your reptilian fear-based uh, side that is going, oh my God, I'm exposing myself to being exiled. Yeah. I'm exposing myself to being uh, shown as a fraud. I'm, you know, it's all those things. It's a really, you can either become stronger for it or we all know uh, there's a lot of pressure on mental health and, and founders more than probably any other demographic in particular. Yeah, no, it's a very lonely journey, honestly, even if you have a team around you, uh, especially if you are the founder, co-founder, whatever you are, it's everything stops with you. It's no one really understands what you're going through. You have to you have to put everyone in front of you. You're the last person that takes care of you. It's kind of like, you know, being in healthcare almost, right? You're never thinking about yourself. And that's why I think like a lot of clinicians can be really great startup founders because the mentality is similar. You give, give, give. No one, you, you never take, take, take. And you always are looked at uh, and everything, it does everything, even if it's out of your control, people are going to look at you like, oh, you messed up. You did this, you did this. And it's like this weird parallel that, I see, uh, I mean, it just might be me looking through my own, my own glasses because I come from the healthcare world and had a startup, but there's a lot of parallels for me. No, I, I think you're completely wrong about that doubt, that last doubt you had. You're, you're completely, uh, you know, at least I, I'm not necessarily a very popular person, so you're not in good company in some ways. <laughs> uh, uh, but I totally, I think you speak from, from truth because you, uh, you I'm not, Maybe your audience, of course, knows, but you have a startup background. So, um, you know, you've walked the walk on that side. You, and especially you were trying to, you were a masochist like me, wanting to have an impact on the healthcare industry. So, and, but you did it from a place of, of real motivation too, right? You have your own story that, that brought you into your Rocky Balboa, um, you know, mission. Yeah, no, it was, yeah, it was all driven by delusions of grandeur, if you want to call that right. I was... It was a, definitely a David versus Goliath. And, uh, like, you know, things happen. I used to look at it as a failure. I really did. I never used to talk about it until maybe just very recently, uh, until somebody said, hey, it, it, it sounds really dumb saying it out loud, but somebody, I was talking, I was look, looking for a transition in my career and this and that. And, I, and he's like, oh, what what about your startup? And no one ever really ever asked me about it. And he's like, that's interesting. Uh, is that on your resume? I'm like, no, I didn't do anything, right? I just didn't even get to the MVP stage. He's like, did you learn something? I'm like, yeah, I learned a lot. Like, what did you learn? And I like listed all of the things. He's like, you're an idiot. You, why, why aren't you talking about this? And that's when it like clicked to me. And I'm like, it wasn't a failure because as I was listing all these things I was learning and I had learned, I was like, holy crap, I learned a lot in those three to four years, right? I was just yeah. like, it's like this weird pressure cooker where you're, it's either swim or die, you know, swim or sink, right. sink or swim, right? And that's when I like opened it up. I'm like, you know what? I need to look, look at it from a completely different eye lens. And be like, no, it wasn't a failure. It was just a time in my life. And I now look at it very fondly, like where it's like, it really defined me as to who I am because of what I went there. I didn't realize it until I really opened up and accepted what happened. It's always a Star Wars uh, um, hero's journey. You know, you just, you just mentioned the, the Return of the Jedi quote from Han Solo when he found out that Luke has become a full-fledged Jedi. You know, delusions of grandeur. Um, I'm not sure if you remember, but you know, it's a, it's a hero's journey, regardless of outcome. It's a hero's journey. As long as you uh, pass through certain levels of, of the experience. It's a, and, and I think um, the more you consider it a hero's journey, the more you keep it individualistically, uh, you know, about psychology as well, just as much the inner battle, just as much as an outer one, then I think it really does, as you say, um, become an enriching experience that can build up that grit and characteristics in you that you'll be served by for the rest of your life, regardless of outcome of the external startup. Yeah, no, it, I mean, it teaches you so many things, right? It teaches you to keep going when everyone is, doesn't believe in you. You have to believe in yourself. And I think that's a lot of things that you, I don't still do that too much. Like you really have to believe in yourself because you have, because like I said, the idea is you, right? You are the idea. There's no separating the two, whether you want to believe it or not. Right. And, and it shows you that you can really, you can fail and life doesn't end, right? It's okay to fail, fail in public, fall in front of people, whatever. But you know what? You will still survive. You will still keep moving. Just keep persevering. Just keep showing up every day. And that's really all it takes. And if you just keep showing up every day, you are going to be better than 99% of people out there. 
I think it's really key also. Uh, I know VCs and so on always talk about having a co-founder. It's a really big part. I feel like I was uh, very fortunate to have a longtime uh, business partner, uh, Hussein Jalali, who's my CTO. I mean, if you don't have ultimately one other person, aside from your spouse or someone in your intimate circle, but really a co-founder, there's nothing like it. You know, uh, you, they're literally, they know what you're talking about. They yeah. know what you're feeling. They know your references. It's 100%. really, really a therapeutic value to have it on the on the journey if you can have. Yeah, misery loves company, right? <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Masochism I'm kidding. <laughs> and misery. No, but it's beautiful. That's the, I mean, listen, like, you know, like sometimes I like to, uh, to invoke the, the, the halls of Odin, you know, and the, the, you know, that like spirit of the Valhalla kind of Northern, you know, Vikings kind of things. It's like, let us, you know, bathe in, in chaos. Yeah. And, you know, like a little bit of that sometimes, not so much like, oh, like, oh, it's just like, like the stepping on uh, eggshells kind of uh, bravery. Like, like, come on, what else is worth life worth living? Go out there and, 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 uh, and battle. Oh, there was this really Great. I know we're probably short on time, but there's this really great quote from Zorba the Greek, a movie that probably no one watches anymore uh, with Anthony Quinn. And one of the famous lines was like, uh, you know, that this American or, or Westerner coming to Greece and meeting Zorba, this, this kind of like, you know, mystical figure, not so much, maybe more of a drunk. I don't know. But uh, anyways, cool person. And he was like, his philosophy was, you know, don't avoid fear. And his line, his quote was, um, uh, you know, to, to live life is to ultimately uh, be in combat, to, to, to risk things. Uh, death is when you get peace. You know, death is when you, you know, if you to, to live life, you undo your belt and you look for trouble. It's all about trouble. Trouble is good. Yeah, I mean, um, I identify with that. I mean, even like from a theological standpoint, I'm not going to get into it, but it's, it's all true, right? Like this life is a test. It's testing you, right? And a test is supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be, it's supposed to push you. It's supposed to push you to be better, stronger, wiser, whatever. Right. Um, and it's, it's there to help you. Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree with you there, but there's value, there's value there. There's yeah. value there to, to go, you know, not just all, you know, like petting yourself when you're in, in a sad mood. It's like, yes, let's yeah. do this. And and it's kind of weird to say, like, I mean, I recently found out with myself is uh, whenever I get really comfortable is when I'm the most scared, if that makes sense. Because for me, I'm not learning. I'm not growing. I'm not pushing myself. And I hate when I'm uncomfortable. I'm not one of the, I'm not going to say like, oh, I love it. I love the chaos or whatever. I, I, I know that it. I need to be in the chaos to get to where I need to get to. It's something that I have, you know, it's one of those things where like, okay, I got to do it. Because right. of, because the end result is much more worth it than not being part of the system, right? And um, it's like this weird thing that I came to realization of maybe like like for you know like during a little after my startup and like during this journey of trying to find like pivot in my career and I was like thinking like why do I want to do this? I have a good job. I'm mm. like doing good things. Like what is the problem? And I just couldn't. It was just like I was getting too comfortable and I just wasn't. I just wasn't feeling fulfilled. I wasn't feeling that angst that comes with learning the journey, you know, going further and just getting, just pushing yourself further. I'm, I'm, I'm going to throw, I don't know why you bring out the major nerd in me or <laughs> geek, but I just want to throw out, you know, Duke, uh, Duke Atreides from, uh, uh, what was it? Duke Leto. Yeah. Duke Leto Atreides. Dune. Uh, sorry from Dune. And he goes, the sleeper must awaken Yeah. every once in a while. We have that urge, you know, to, to and then there's no, there's no, you know, guarantee you're going to enjoy it i think it's the reverse for sure oh yeah you're, but, gonna, you're gonna hate it but the things you hate are the things that make you better in the long run yeah so i i've thrown out at least a few quotes i'm really <laughs> pleased pleased with myself yeah and that kind of goes back to what you initially said with your thing is uh you know with your technology you are trying to you're trying to help people by putting them in uncomfortable situations because they will grow, right? See, nice. look what we did oh here, guys. We went God. all the way to the beginning. That's just wonderful. Uh, but I mean, it's true, right? Like you're putting them, yes. I mean, if you're afraid of heights, you're putting them in a VR situation where they're looking down, you know, right. agoraphobia or, you know, arachnophobia, you know, even. I wanna, huh? Yeah, sorry. No, you're just, you're just throwing me out into an idea. Arachnophobia, just throwing people outside of their, their sense of self sometimes. You know, people get too accustomed to their sense of self 
what that means, labeling themselves, what they are, what they aren't, what they can do, what they can't do. Yeah, I'm. I don't like labels. I don't. I, that's why I tell people I'm like I don't. Don't label me as anything. I'm just Zane. I'm just. That's who <laughs> I am, and that's all you need to know about me. And whatever I do, I don't want to be known as the pharmacist or this or that. I just. I just. That's one of the things I struggle with social media. This is going way off tangent. Is because you're supposed to find a niche and you're supposed to really dive yeah. into it. And I struggle with that because I don't like labeling myself. Because today I'm one of those people that will learn something, move on, learn something, move on, learn something, move on. For me, like doing the same thing over and over and over again scares me and that's maybe one of the things that i need to work on <laughs> well i think you have some characteristics that keeps you going in very fun directions and you're doing things ultimately that are exposing you constantly to ideas so at least you have the opening of it i think a lot of the danger sometimes is is when we start especially as we get older we start to fixate instead on who we think we are and get comfortable in that fixation. So at least your lifestyle is keeping you exposed. Yeah. Thank you. I, I paid him a lot of money to say good things about me. So checks and I, I guess the check already cleared out. Huh? No, no, but I really appreciate that. No, I think that, I think that, yeah, people just need to just try stuff. And I think that, you know, you don't have to try stuff that, and you know, you can do it in your comfort, your own home, just do it. And you'll be surprised how, how little you have to do to really grow a lot. Oh, this is what we, we've had like quotes from famous movies. We've had Hallmark expressions. I mean, we, you know, I brought it the the ancient uh, religion of Valhalla. This is a, this is a good, juicy, concentrated podcast. Yeah. I mean, this, these are the kind of, honestly, these are the kind of conversations I really like because it really, I think, opens the door to like get to know people. And also I think people relate to it. Like, you know, it's really easy to like talk about your company and talk about what you're doing and this and that. But like when you re can really connect with person kind of going back to the Rogan thing, right? You know, like, hey, this person is building this and this is them, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and I think people forget all those things. You, you know, you're very corporate or whatever. So I, I enjoy conversations like this where they kind of go all kind of in like a weird round, but not everyone likes them, but I really enjoy them because... Yep. How would you know you're not an NPC right now? When ChatGBT and all this stuff's coming out, when will there be podcast episodes being run between two computer characters talking based on scripts? Like... You have to have that neurotic element to some degree. At least that's the, the Turing test for me. Where What is that neurotic element of that individual? And Zane, you got a nice, 100% human right here. Oh, yeah. another, another, another compliment. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. I'm glad. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, ChatGPT thing is, so there's actually a company out there that takes uh, old figures and you can have conversations with them. They'll do like a deep fake with their voice and the, and the, and the face. And uh, somebody was having a conversation with Steve Jobs and like, you know, the AI is taking every single quote they've done, book they've read, all that stuff about them. And it's answering in that way. And oh. it was really impressive. So yeah, yeah. you're not too far off from what you just said. It is going to get to that point. And people are really right. scared about it. But for me, I think that the human element is always going to be something that's going to separate. Like, yeah, I mean, you're going to have like the mass market stuff, but I think people will still gravitate towards humanity. Well, as long as there's people like you, basically a lot of people I deal with in those VCs, in those uh, corporations, I can tell you uh, the occupation of individuals can severely, you know, liberate them in some ways. And it can also make them more closed minded. I don't know. I, I'm dealing with um, a world that is not purely optimistic, but it's also quite interesting. So I, I just try to eliminate as much of that negativity and just be like all the new things that are coming up. It's at least an interesting life. Yeah, no. I mean, uh, everything in technology has a good and a bad, depending on the user itself, right? Yeah. Um, and then, so there is going to be, there are going to be consequences to this. Jobs will get lost. Uh, jobs that shouldn't have been lost are going to get lost. And people that fired those people are never going to say they made a mistake and continually push something. Um, ask me how I know. <laughs> but, uh but yeah, no, I think that, but for me, like that shouldn't stop us from innovating, right? If if we ever stopped that, we wouldn't have cars, we wouldn't have TVs, we wouldn't have technologies like this. Um, I think that we, as a human, as a human, as humans in general, we try to look at the minority more than the majority. Like I, for me, the greater good is always the better way to go. You're obviously nothing is going to be perfect. You're never going to make everyone happy. You're never going to not, you're not, not you're never going to create something that might not be used for bad, but if you're helping more people than good, it's like a net positive, right? That's all you're trying to leave in the world. And I think that's what most people should strive for. At least that's just for me. No, I think that's the least we can 
go for. And as long as we achieve that net positive, then I think that's a mission accomplished. Yeah. But man, this was an amazing conversation uh, for people that want to reach out to you. How do they reach out to you? It, please add me on LinkedIn, uh, Amir Bozorgzadeh, Virtualeap. Uh, you can email me at amir at virtualeap.com as well. If you have anything specific, but I'd be happy to keep on adding people who'd like to follow our work and, and the road we're, we're on. And are you guys, um, so if, if there's a physician or, or a hospital system, university that's interested, can they also reach out to you for like pilots and stuff? Oh, thank you for plugging that in. Yeah, absolutely. The number one favorite thing in my world is re- being uh, hearing from people uh, from the academia, from clinical backgrounds who want to potentially work as research partners. Um, and we are definitely prioritizing that. So if you have any interest in exploring that kind of prospect, please email me at uh, Amir virtually.com. We're interested in almost every type of therapeutic area that cognition, I think, always has a relationship to. Awesome. Awesome. And then uh, just last question I always ask people is, uh, you know, what advice would you have given yourself that you know now in your startup, like as you're going through your startup journey, like all the stuff that you've learned in your startup journey, what would you have told Amir right before you started? That kind of a loaded question. <laughs> yeah. I would say focus on revenues first <laughs> focus on revenues as fast as possible. Do not, if you're a science backed startup and you do not have a background where, I don't know, you've been in a lot of hot tubs with people who are now VCs and stuff. Uh, you have some kind of relationship already with, with those people. If you're not that person, especially if you're like me coming from zigzag angles, then do not try to do uh, VC rounds. Of course, this year least than ever, but but do not focus on focus on non-dilutive grants, focus on revenues, focus on anything you can do to um, uh, find corporate partnerships. Do not waste time on on venture funds. I know that's a, that's a opening up a whole thing and then at the end of the call, but I, I'm going to say that for sure. I would I would have given me my that, that advice. Yeah, and I mean, I think one thing is focusing on revenue definitely helps, but. But yeah, no, I think that's great advice. Um, and, you know, every everyone has their own journey. Everyone, The thing is, you can't put everyone in the same box. Right? Sure. And you have to really sure. understand, like, should you be VC back? Should you not be? So I don't I don't think that's really controversial personally. But um, I think that's really actually really good advice. But on that note, uh, thank you so much uh, for your time and um, just the amazing quotes. I really honestly really love this conversation. This has been one of my favorite conversations. Thank you. Likewise, Zane. I hope we can... Uh, possibly in the next next year or two as we keep on progressing. Uh, maybe we can have like a follow-up. I definitely count this as one of my favorite podcasts, uh, conversations of this year, in fact. Thank you very much. No, I would love to. I would love to have you back on and kind of give us an update because um, that would be amazing. I love, I love that kind of stuff. Wonderful. Thank you. Oh, thank you.